There are certain days that are ordained from God. The fact that the U.S. Open and Game 7 are on Father's Day, I just want to take a moment to thank the Father, all right? And also, let us pray for LeBron and his Cavaliers. Uh, I've heard enough of Golden State. I've had enough of it. They shouldn't have won last year. Uh, everyone was hurt. So on behalf of Claude Bray, the elder here, uh, tonight is our night. U.S. Open today on Father's Day. You know, Mother's Day is so funny compared to Father's Day. Mother's Day, I got a reservation for lunch in February. Father's Day, my wife says, what do you want to do? I just want to eat bacon and hang out. I don't know. <laughs> it is so different. In, in some sort of Christian calendar, as you look at, some theologians believe that Mother's Day is chasing down Easter. It is nipping at the hills. Uh, if you look at attendance on Mother's Day here, it's, it's incredible. And, and it is at an all-time fever pitch. Father's Day is not less important. Just the bar is greatly lowered on Father's Day. Men are not very complicated. How many men on your special day today, Father's Day, right now when you look at me, what you really see in your mind is a T-bone. You can already see it. Just raise your hand. <laughs> I can't tell you how many moms or how many wives around here. I just hear you guys talking in the halls. We're all the same. Now, Mother's Day, not so much. Mm-mm. I had to make sure that the restaurant, is, it, everything needs to be nice. I actually had to bathe the kids the night before church on Sunday morning. <laughs> Father's Day, I don't even know where my kids are. They're right, I don't know where they are. They're somewhere. But if you're a, a guest with us today, my name is Chad. I'm the pastor here. And we just say welcome. Welcome to Bridgeway. I enjoy getting to meet new people. It seems like a lot of new people are coming to Bridgeway. And we're just a place that wants to be a bridge between the Word and the Spirit and to fully walk out what it means to live in the radical middle fully committed to his word and also fully just committed to the person of the Holy Spirit. I want to brag on Teresa Harris, by the way. How awesome are these two paintings up here? <laughs> Tally, one of them can be yours for $150,000, and we will name the parking lot Tally, okay? Thank you, Father. All right. Let's just jump in. I want you to go to Proverbs. Proverbs 19.3. I have to be nicer on Mother's Day. I can be a little more stingy on Father's Day. It, the, the thing that I hate most about the Word is that it speaks so much truth. We love passages that line up with where we are. We just don't like passages that line up with where we're not. Our hermeneutic evolves around our own selfishness to make scriptures say what we want them to say. Let's be honest. <laughs> so then when you come, when you read Proverbs, it's just, it's just uncomfortable. Proverbs was written by a very wise person, no pun intended. So it's a lot of writings on wisdom. And I want to, I want to throw this out there and then build around it for the next three or four hours. Okay. So Proverbs Chapter 19, verse 3. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness, and then they are angry at the Lord. <laughs> Father, I thank you for today's sermon as we go in peace. I drive a Mini Cooper. 
It's red and black in honor of my Georgia Bulldogs. I have a big G on the front of it. Thank you, sir. God bless you. And I think I'm in some sort of midlife crisis. I'm not depressed. I don't know what it is. I wear sport coats now. I have Presbyterian shoes on. I pastor a church. I drive a convertible. And today's a lot better driving the convertible than this past week. It's been unbearable. I'm, I'm, not, saying, uh, I'm not saying hot. It's been unbearable hot. I saw two hobbits throw rings into my backyard two days ago. Okay. <laughs> Can I get a water, please? I feel like I've got mothballs in my mouth. And, but I have, thank you, I have a convertible. I've never had a convertible. I feel like I'm at halftime of my life. And some of you men in here, elderly men, you, you probably remember that stage where you feel like you're just halfway home. And I know we're not promised every day. I get it. James says that. But I, I just feel like I'm at halftime. I look back on the first half. I feel like I got a field goal lead, up three points, get the ball in the second half. You know, I, I, I'm happy with what God's done in my life. Made a lot of good decisions, some bad ones, but I'm blessed. If it all ended for me today, I feel like I won, at least by field goal. Doing good. You know, some people get to halftime, they're like, we can't run the ball second half. We got to throw it 50 times. <laughs> I don't know, I don't, nothing's wrong with me. I, I don't want to resign. I'm not miserable. I'm just overly reflective in the past few months. I can't, I don't know why. Do you ever just go through a season to where you're just, you just reflect hard? Do you, do you men know what I mean when I say reflect? You, you understand what I'm saying here? That's like think deeply on stuff. Just write that down. Now, I know the women are tracking with me. Now, if you look at a man half the time, you say, what are you thinking about? And they say, what do you mean? What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm starving. What? I've just been thinking a lot. You know, thinking about where we are. I think a lot of it is spurred on by the fact that every morning my 13-year-old wakes up, he looks a year older. I can't stand it. I've got a friend here today. He can't even look at pictures of his family growing up. He can't do it. He hates it. Because it's like, wait a minute. This guy was, wait a minute. He was two, four days ago. And it's just going by real, real, real fast. And so this is my Father's Day weekend. My wife is in, at her parents' house with the kids, and I've had a lot of time to play golf yesterday. I, I played with some teenagers at the golf course, and I played Friday afternoon. I've just been thinking a lot. I even wondered if something was wrong with me on Friday because I've just, uh, just been processing a lot. These are some of the things that I've, that I've thought about in the last couple of days. Why am I now obsessed with the Weather Channel? What is this when you get older? <laughs> Can anyone else relate to me on this? As a 43-year-old man, why do I check that weather app three times a day? I didn't do that when I was 25. I used to think my grandmother was so strange because all she ever talked about was the weather. I don't mean the weather where she was. Weather patterns in Europe. You go to my grandparents' house during a heat wave, it's just so annoying. I'm now that person. I woke up today, it's like 76 degrees out here. Coming from the east, two miles an hour, it's very nice. I can tell you right now, the next 10 days, if you can relate to me, raise your hand. Thank you. We'll join a club, we'll create a missional community. You just, you watch the weather. It's like ESPN when you're in college, you watch it once, comes on again, you're like, why not? I give it a go. You know what the weather is, you check the app, you get on two different sites, there we go. You become obsessed with it. I listen to a lot of classical music now. Don't ask me why. 
I have no idea. If you look at my Pandora uh, music, it's all over the map. It seems that recently I'm just listening to music that either very smart people, old people, or artists listen to. And I'm listening to that right now. Any classical music fans in this house? Okay. All right. A couple other things I've reflected on the past few days. One of my brother's questions to a billionaire that we knew, he's passed away now. My brother asked this billionaire at Augusta National four years ago. I'm not going to say his name, just to protect him, protect his family. My brother said, we'll just call him Mr. Doe, as in John Doe. He said, Mr. Doe, if you could go back and live your life over again, what would you do differently? And his answer was very common, and it's kind of where I am right, right now. Of like, okay, I'm at halftime. I know where I want to go. I know where I've been. He said, I would have partied a lot less. I'd have paid more attention to things that were important, pay more attention to my family. Yesterday on the golf course, I thought about a question that my, my father asked to a 98-year-old man that was in my family. He said, Uncle Bud, what's the most important thing you've learned in life in 98 years? Uncle Bud said, after five minutes of silence, I didn't think Uncle Bud heard him. He heard him. He said to love people. And uh, recently I did a funeral and my mentor was there. And I said, Dr. Kirk, if you could do it all over again, go back, be 43 years old, be at your halftime, what would you do differently? He said, I'd spend a lot more time with my family. He said, ministry overwhelmed that so much. If someone could ask me at 43 instead of me being at 80 or 90, what's the most important thing I've learned at my halftime in life? I'm going to give my answer this morning. And my answer is this. The most important thing that I've learned in 43 years is the art of abiding. I think, not that I'm great at it, but I think the most important thing we conquer in the kingdom is the rhythm of abiding, A-B-I-D-I-N-G. I think the church has done a masterful job at, be- at getting people to believe, you know, to make a decision. And this is not just pastoring Bridgeway. This is over 20 years of experience in ministry, being married to Wendy for almost 20 years now. You know, I'm, I'm not at the end of my life. But so far, I would say that the church is unbelievable believing, and you meet very few people that abide. And true happiness and true breakthrough and true fruit never come from believing. It always comes from abiding. Go back to where we started in in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3. Proverbs 19.3, basically, in in my interpretation, says this. We ruin our lives by taking our lives into our own hands and making our own decisions based on our own wisdom, our own competence, our own experience. We don't fully surrender to the Lord. We do what we want to do, how we want to do it, when we want to do it. And then when it doesn't turn out great, we get angry at him. So the whole premise of abiding is the first step is admitting that you're not in control of your own life. I see this every day. 
And the moment someone becomes offended at the Lord, from my own experience, I say this from wisdom and prophetically, the most dangerous place you can ever be in your life is to be offended at the kind, gentle, loving Father. You know, I don't have jurisdiction over a lot of places, but as the father of this house, I would just like for you to chew on one thing. Don't ever let anyone speak into your life spiritually that doesn't have a revelation of the kindness of the Father. Just don't let them speak into you. Just because someone has the title of pastor doesn't mean much. The men who flew the planes into the Twin Towers thought they were serving God. And the most dangerous thing in the world is a misconception. The most powerful thing in the world is a proper conception. And whenever I take my life into my own hands and I abide in anyone other than the king, it never turns out well. And so we're in week three of the John I Am series. And today is, I am the bread of life. So what does this mean, bread of life? It means this. I can stare at bread for nourishment and believe that it's bread and it never impact me. Food doesn't matter unless I eat it. I can be surrounded with plush food everywhere. If I never eat it, I'll die within 45 to 50 days. And when he says, I am the bread of life, he's not trying to get anyone to believe in him. He's trying to get me to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Now, imagine this before we get into this context of John 6. Um, Orthodox Jewish temple and a Jewish rabbi walks into a temple and says, I just need you to drink my blood, eat my flesh. (laughs) If you know anything about Jewish history... Jesus found the top 10 hot topics and touched them all. He had their full attention. And for me, the only reason I'll go the distance, stay pure to my wife, never cheat on her, never cheat on my family, not put this church in front of my family. I only have one shot to stay pure, not do anything immoral financially, name the other 10,000 things we fall into. I only have one shot at success at finishing well, which is my biggest goal. And it has very little to do with believing in Jesus Christ. It has everything to do with feasting upon him every day, three times a day, four times a day, five times a day. This is why Luther said to his own students, preach the gospel to yourself every day. And if you need to, do it more than once. You know, we walk in a level of healing around here. It's not because we believe in healing. It's because as leadership, we've learned to lean on the chest of Jesus, feast upon him every day. We lay hands on people. We're not looking out in the great wild yonder somewhere to pray for someone. You just share the fresh oil, the fresh nourishment. Have you ever eaten a huge meal and an hour later the feeling is so good you just want to lay down and like stare at a wall? Is that not the best feeling in the world? We went to a nice restaurant Friday night. It's so satisfying. When you go to a nice restaurant, anybody, anybody been to American Grocery downtown Greenville? Are you kidding me? Anywhere they serve rabbit, it's just amazing. I like to go places where I can't pronounce the food. It's always good. Always. I, and I, my wife, she gets so mad at me. I'll just point at the menu. She'll say, you know, what, what will you have? Because I can't pronounce that. I'll have the le right there. When you leave American Grocery, 
Larkins, Halls is now here. I go downtown Greenville, I just like to look at the restaurants, much less go in, I just like to look around. When you leave those places, you get on Woodruff Road and you go through Taco Bell at 1 o'clock in the morning, you can tell within about 30 seconds the difference. You go to Taco Bell, you're calling Kenneth Copeland hotline about 30 minutes afterwards, all right? <laughs> you go to American Grocery and you, and you say these words, this is what it's supposed to be. This is what, this is what it's supposed to be. Then you read Psalm 34, taste, taste and see that the Lord is good. I think for me, the kingdom has become about a couple of things. Complete surrender with my head on the face to a kind Lord, a kind owner. And then him teaching me the art of how to pull my own seat up to the feasting table that's already been presented before me. The reason we don't get through stuff well and the reason that some of us have to come every Sunday morning, we hang on during the week and we just need a little touch from God on Sunday morning instead of coming here to celebrate what he's done during the week, it's not because the bread's not there. It's not because the feast is not there. We just haven't really learned the art of abiding, the art of eating. Because here's what I found that is amazing. When you learn to, to feast upon him, The bullets don't stop coming. You just have the ability to move through it like Teflon. I don't need to believe in a Savior that lives in the afterlife. I need to feast and taste upon the living bread that's inside of me in the here and now. When the bullets are flying. When, I, when anxiety is rising. But here's what's interesting Somehow we have preached this thing to where you believe in a Jesus, you pull your own bootstraps up and you try to make it through. And what's amazing is there are some people that get, can get so close to the message of the kingdom and then take their lives in their own hands, stop feasting upon the bread, start making their own decisions and wonder why no doors are opening. You know, breakthrough doesn't come through competence. Breakthrough comes from the afterglow of the meal you've just eaten, if that meal is the king. Go, go to Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 9. You guys have heard this our whole lives. Catholics, Presbyterians, Baptists, Methodists. This is the Lord's Prayer. They can't figure out how this rabbi is doing all the things that he did. They can't figure it out. Have you ever asked yourself, how in the world did Jesus pull off everything he pulled off? Because he learned to feast upon his father every single day. And this idea of eating upon the bread, in the tabernacle, there was a piece of bread there. And that bread there was symbolic of what would come at Calvary. And the high priest had to do a particular act with the bread on the day at the right moment to eat the bread, break the bread. You know, you've heard this terminology a lot, it was break bread together. In the Old Testament, the bread of Jesus Christ was foreshadowed and the high priest had to do a particular act with the bread at the perfect time. It was symbolic of what will become the nourishment for all of us, Jews and Gentiles. We would all be included into this feast. See, Jesus wants to be feasted upon because he knows that he is the only one that can sustain us. He is the only one that can give us life, Zoe, eternal. And that's not about going somewhere. He's the only one that can fill us up. Have you ever been around someone who is just always 
typically stirred up about what the father's saying, what the father's doing. They smell like it. They look like him. They're not like other people. It's not because they're anointed. They've learned how to eat. Somebody say eat. Praise God, Father's Day. This is the greatest Father's Day sermon ever. I wish the Lord would have said, I am, instead of bread of life, I am, you know, name your favorite, your favorite food. But back in this context, bread was such a common staple. And here's how it plays out. This then is how you should pray. Jesus says to his guys, okay, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Key word there to me is not even bread. Daily bread. If my hermeneutic, if the ability to interpret scripture is that I believe in Jesus, but I maybe have an encounter every few years, you're basically going to starve to death spiritually and wonder what's wrong. Unless something is really wrong with the person or they are on an intended fast. You do not have to remind yourself to go to lunch today. Because if we don't, and you don't do that 45, 50 days, you die. Imagine it being unnatural for you to have water, unnatural for you to have sweet tea, praise God, unnatural for you to eat. You would shrink and you would die. And that's what's happening everywhere. One of the things I love about Bridgeway is there's bread in this house. And when you eat bread, you're growing. You know, this isn't trigonometry. If you want to grow, do this. Exercise, eat, and get enough rest. Spiritually speaking, we want to make this thing so complicated. Well, the truth is the, the feasting table is already laid out in front of me. But if my paradigm is that I just, uh, you know, give God a little money here and there and maybe go to church here and there and, uh, well, you know. And then we wonder why there's no life flowing from us. The people who dominate in the kingdom aren't very competent. They know how to eat. I'm blessing myself. I don't know if you guys are getting this. I'm just telling you. I don't want to just believe in a Jesus. I want to feast upon him. Look at this in John 6. I love this. John 6, 25 through 40. Here's my interpretation. The only bread that will nourish you is the bread you eat. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? I so wish I would have been there. You know, God wanted me here the year 2016. I wish I'd have been his disciple. I've never seen anyone in all of, of, of world history, uh, anything I've read or watched, that was more um, controversial than this rabbi. Uh, before I go here, he had just fed them, like probably over 10, 15, maybe even 20,000. He had fed them all. And what's amazing in the scriptures, it says he gave them uh, as much as they wanted. So he didn't just say, here's a little bit, live on this for 10 months. He gave them as much as they wanted, bread and fish. If your interpretation of grace is not abundant, it's not grace. He, he gave them as much as they wanted. And they were like, I like this rabbi, he feeds us. And so Jesus goes on to do his thing and he goes to the other side of the lake and then they track him down. And, and I think it's funny because he knows why they're tracking him down. They want some more food. Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. It must have been a bunch of men in that group, I swear. 
you got blind eyes opening, limbs regrowing, the dead being raised, and a bunch of guys were like, yeah, that's great, good job for you. Can, do you mind? <laughs> and this time, can you put a little bit of spice on that fish? Do not work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. You see, bread doesn't just send me to heaven. Bread gets heaven in me. If you think Jesus is the entry point into heaven, you'll never eat bread. You'll never have power. You'll never walk in the prophetic. You'll never hear his voice. You'll be miserable and have your little card, like a YMCA card that you put in your billfold that you said yes to Jesus 800 years ago. Who cares? I want to know what Jesus said yesterday, this morning, today, five minutes ago. I want to offend, listen to me, I'm serious. I want to feel a wind of heaven blowing on me like it is right now while I preach. And some people are like, what are you talking about? When you eat the bread, you experience what other people don't experience. And in the natural realm, when you eat, you get stuffed. American grocery, I'm going to die. God, help me, God. In the kingdom, when you eat bread, it's just like, I can't stop doing this. I can't stop doing this. If you're not enjoying Jesus, it's because you're eating stale bread that's not of him. Because his bread just keeps stirring you up. The reason that so many pastors are like, I don't know where God is. I don't know what God's doing. You're not eating bread. This church can't grow if leadership here, key leadership, is not eating bread. When you eat this bread, it just look healthier. Put Taco Bell in your body and put healthy food in your body and watch what happens. A month ago, I started drinking from Dr. Dare's office this green vegetable drink. It tastes, it's the worst tasting thing I have ever put in my mouth. I mean, I about had to pray in tongues to get the thing down. It is awful. The funniest thing is happening. I'm sleeping better. I feel better. After a month of this, I don't like to not drink it. You guys have seen me pouring this thing in the morning. I like it. And it's organic this and organic that. And I can't pronounce half the stuff. And at first I didn't like it. And now it's like, whew, I feel pretty good. I look good. Lost a couple of pounds. I'm getting this good stuff in me. Get the good stuff in you. You come alive. It's the same concept. This is where Jesus is taking this. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Well, he said, well, the work of God is to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe it? What will you do? Our ancestors, and I love this. They thought they're going to tell God the history of the Jews. (laughs) Well, our ancestors... This is the one that fed their ancestors. Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. I wish I could see the look on the Lord's face internally during these moments. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, well, I'll tell you, it's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven. Let me, let me, give, you, let me give you a little uh, heads up here, you Jewish people that I love and I'm going to die for, even though you're not going to receive me. Uh, I gave Moses the bread. I'm the one that gave it to him. I am the bread maker. I am the bread. It's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, always give us this bread. I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me and you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I'll never drive away. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Jesus basically says to all these Jewish people, I want you to eat my flesh and drink my blood. It was such a shocking paradigm changer for them. They didn't know what to do with it. And 2,000 years later to the church in the West, the message hasn't changed much at all. The normal paradigm is just to believe in this person so you go somewhere where you die. That was never the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is learning the art of feasting upon him every day, all day, every day, all day. And then somewhere, someone walks up to you and says, there's just something different about you. It's not because you believe in him. It's because you're walking with him. In the spirit, I want breadcrumbs on my lips 24-7. Do you know that you can eat so much that you can start prophesying the dream you're going to have that night before you have it? He or she who stuffs himself with the bread of Jesus gets to experience what others don't experience. It doesn't make you better. It's just proof that you know how to eat. And see, competent people say, well, you know, I don't, I'm a self-made man. I can earn my own food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In the kingdom, you just come like a little kid and you say, Daddy, what's for dinner tonight? I have never had Jack Norris in his lifetime walk in and say, Hello, Father. <laughs> oh, Dad, I'm just begging you. Father, I beg that you feed me tonight. Please, oh, Dad, we're going to die. You know what Jack does? Dad, I am starving. Let's eat. Good fathers love to provide bread for their kids, and they love to eat with them. Jesus breaks that bread in the upper room. Do you know the number one metaphor in all of Scripture for for, uh, kingdom? It's feasting. From Genesis to Revelation, it's food and celebration. What's his first miracle in John? Lots of food, lots of wine, and feasting. He's a celebratory God that says, I'm going to break myself for you to enjoy. And the more you learn to eat, the more you will find yourself back in the Garden of Eden. Everybody wants to get to heaven. Why do you want to get to heaven so much? The Father's trying to get heaven into you. And the only way he gets down into you is to the degree in which you feast upon him. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forgetting all his benefits, who forgives me of all my sins, heals me of all my diseases. What's the metaphor for healing in the upper room when he says about the new covenant? My body broken for you. There are stories of people being dramatically healed by taking literally communion. Wigglesworth, last 25 years of his life, took communion every day. It's an outward symbol of how good this thing is. You know, it's amazing. There's, there's some people in my life that when I'm around them, it doesn't matter where we are. Hey, what's the Lord saying? What's the Lord doing? I mean, I've got a friend in my life who's a father in my life. Dr. Jack Hancock right here is 30 years older than me, and we sit on his back porch. You know, we talk sports and we cut up, but at some point it makes a turn. You just start talking about the Lord. It's like those two guys on the road to Emmaus when they're walking, and they just, their hearts were burning. When you eat this bread, it just... It, get, it just, it's good. 
If you go to a five-star restaurant and don't desire to go back, that is your fault, not that restaurant's. Make it a hundred-star restaurant with the Lord Jesus Christ. You feast upon him. And he says these words over you as you're at his table and you're eating. And he says, you know what? I love you so much. Quit condemning yourself so much. You're too hard on yourself, Chad. Why don't you start walking in what you preach? I'm kind towards you too. I love you. This bread doesn't just sustain. It takes you over the top. It's overcomer bread. There's nothing sadder than to be in Christ but eat stale bread. You know the reason I don't journal much is because I don't want to lean on old testimonies. When it comes to healings I see and breakthroughs I see or prophetic encounters, I don't journal them much because I want daily bread. I want daily stuff. And see, in the kingdom, it will manifest towards your level of expectation. That's why Jesus said 18 times, let it be done to you as you have believed. Well, I want to believe for daily stuff. Someone asked me two days ago, what did you preach last Sunday? I could not remember. It's not because I have ADD. I don't have ADD. I don't condemn anyone that does. I don't. I remember a lot of stuff. I read a lot of stuff. Going to get my doctorate in the fall. I'm not some scattered brain person. I've just trained myself to look forward. God seems to be a present tense towards the future type of God. He's not real big on past. That's why Paul says, put your hand to the plow and look forward. So many people that look in their past never get healed because he, he has not hardwired you to analyze your past that much because he wants you to eat daily bread. Everybody say daily. He wants you daily bread. Daily bread. I don't, want an, I don't want to talk about an encounter I had in Haiti four years ago. I want daily. I want daily experiences with him. Daily. I asked him this morning. I said, who's going to win the game tonight? I was sitting right there this morning. And he said, I'm not going to tell you. You can train yourself. By the way, anytime you use your humor, try to get to it never works, ever. It never works for the Father, <laughs> ever. We need to change our mentality. This needs to be daily. And can I just say this? Gosh, I don't want to say this. I have to say it. He's not going to tell me who wins tonight, but I can't stop hearing this. If there's no fruit in your marriage, you may not need to analyze 13 marriage techniques. You might need to put that piece of bread back on the table and you and your spouse start eating together. Breakthrough doesn't come through competence or strategy or tactics. Breakthrough comes, if you'll eat bread with your spouse, if you'll eat bread with your kids. You know, practically, what does it look like to eat bread? Talk about the Lord in your house. Pray together. Sitting around your table, ask the person beside you, your spouse, your son, your cousin, whoever it is. Say, what's a father doing in your life? Sometimes you ask that person a question, it's like, they get so tongue-tied, they don't know what you're doing. What, what do you mean, what is he doing? Well, the father, you know, gave Jesus on the cross. I said yes 65 years ago in a YMCA campground when I was four. <laughs> oh, I think that's great. What is he doing now? Jesus doesn't want a Christianity. It's like a museum. We all go to the museum. There's a couple of superstars. God, thank you for using Wigglesworth. Wigglesworth is dead. It's our turn. It's your turn. Quit reading so many stories about people who lived 100 years ago. Write your own story. Eat your own bread. Well, I just don't hear God like my mom hears God. That's because you don't eat bread like your mama eats bread. You want to grow in the prophetic? Eat bread. And it's so funny. People are like, well, I just don't understand. What does it practically look like to eat bread? Are you kidding me? I could have the children's wing come up here right now and say, how do you eat the bread of Jesus? And they could preach a whole sermon. 
Get in his written word. Get in community. Quit making excuses. I have a thing on my phone right now with Clint Eastwood. He's on my phone. It says, no one owes you anything. Get off your rear end and go get it. It's the same thing in the kingdom. Yeah, at some point you just say, you know what? I'm tired of making an excuse and being so entitled about why I don't have what I have. I look back in my past and I really don't like what I see. Here's what I would say. Quit looking in your past. Pull up to the present tense table. Eat that bread and watch what the bread does. It is amazing in the kingdom. The bread gives you the breakthrough. Man, that is a good sermon. And I'm starving. If I say bread one more time, I'm going to snap. All right. All right, why don't you stand up and we'll speak a blessing. There's a couple of ways we can give to Operation Renewal. One is in the buckets on your way back. If you'll just put on the memo line on your check, Operation Renewal. Another way is online at bridgewaychurch.org. And just put, you can click on the Operation Renewal. That will not go towards the general budget here at the church. It goes all towards uh, the renewal project. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, may you feast on him this week. And don't just nibble, stuff your face with it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless, have a great day.